but you know, I see so many posts that have like five million views or ten million views, and it's just like awful information, mm -hmm. absolutely terrible. And you know, it's really hard to combat that, especially you know, some people are only consuming short form content, yeah, and so you know, half the stuff they see is is BS, and then of course, yeah, they get they get caught up in this kind of cultishness. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Returning to the show, I have Joffrey Verity Schofield. This time I said it right. Last time I think I said Schofield or something like that. Um, so I guess first things first, is Mike O'Hearn natty? Um, you know, part of what I look at, uh, this is a big one. Wow, right off, you're coming out guns blazing on this one. <laughs> um, part, part of, because I usually don't do natty or nots, mm -hmm. you know, because, and I get sent DMs and stuff. People are like, is this guy natural? And like, I, you know, <laughs> usually I just pass because there's, there's no way to tell 100%, mm -hmm. right? But what I usually look for is their reaction to when they get asked mm -hmm. or when they get accused yeah and if you look at mike's reaction whenever it gets brought up i mean he either gets super defensive or like really uncomfortable or he'll be like no nah, like this is just people asking because they don't want to put in the hard work or something like that um, whereas if you look at someone who's actually natural and they get that question or they get that accusation usually it's like a they're kind of flattered about it Mm -hmm. right because it's kind of it's a it's a mix of, of a few different emotions because I've, I've had you know my fair share of uh, fake natty accusations by now which is nice right it's like you you you've <laughs> built up this physique that is worthy of getting this accusation right, right. so it's, it's flattering in a way but then it's also insulting because they're they're calling you a lion sack of dumb right, right. so it's like they're, they're praising your physique insulting your character and so you're like i guess i feel good about this but like mm -hmm. it depends who it is right because if it's a a, a nobody it's kind of flattering, but if there was someone who I respected in the industry and they said, oh yeah, that, that GBS guy, he's a fake natural, I would actually be more like hurt slash insulted by that Yeah, because now they're saying like, it's more about like, oh, he's a lying, you know, bag of crap. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's also a little bit sad as well because usually these people have really low standards and so they think anyone who has an even halfway decent physique is automatically sauced up especially the ones who actually sauced up themselves yeah the ones who who you know they went down that road they didn't see great results either they didn't know what they were doing in the gym or they didn't put in hard work or their diet was crappy or they're they're just using the anabolics as a way to get around the hard work mm -hmm. which happens way way more commonly than most people in the fitness industry think those are the guys who get salty because mm -hmm. they see someone who looks better than them and they automatically think, oh, well, this guy must have taken more drugs. And then you say you're natural, and they're just like, 
no, no, no. Like they can't accept that because it shows, you know, their inadequacies, basically. So Michael Hearn, I'm going to go with no based on his reaction. Mm -hmm. And then just based on his physique and his longevity. And I think he's a little bit in too deep. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's, you know, he's more mainstream than a lot of people in the fitness industry. And so it's almost like guys who are actors. A lot of these actors, we know they're not natural. They know they're not natural, but they can't say they're not natural right. because it's still illegal in the U.S. So they can't exactly say that. Um, and then there is the situation of if they are too open about it, now they're going to be, you know, incentivizing and inspiring their young fans to go down the same path, which, you know, maybe they know is not the right road for most people. So Michael Hearn, almost certainly not natural. Um Partly based on his physique, but but the other factors as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it was a little bit of a tongue in cheek question, but um, one thing that um <laughs> I, that that's I just enjoy talking about it because it's always funny, and everybody it, it's kind of like you know we know he's lying, he knows he's lying, we all know he's lying, but he just has to keep <laughs> the game going. Um, yeah. one person I know you've kind of butted heads with a little bit, and I like him for some things and less for others. Um, Greg Duchette, I feel like actually almost walks a fine line like goes tips over to a little bit more irresponsibility than responsible but is at least honest about pd stuff where like like i said it's i think he falls a little bit more towards the irresponsible end because he really is very very open about it and kind of goes into all the details and names of drugs and everything that maybe some people think like hey this is a good idea and this is what it is so i just have to look this stuff up to get it where he does say like hey you shouldn't take this but like to me, it still seems kind of irresponsible to constantly blast that stuff out and do natty or nots and then say, hey, this is what they're taking. These are the doses. And it may encourage some people to say, hey, maybe I should go try that too. Yeah, I mean, you have to wonder how many thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands of young men have taken steroids because of the, you know, they watched a natty or not on their dream physique. And the guy said, oh, there's no way this is natural. This is what they're taking. This is where you get it. And, um, you know, Greg is a mixed bag. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you know, we've had our differences for sure. Um, it's not all bad by any means. You know, I try to always be intellectually honest, even if it's someone you don't like. And I, I don't like Greg. You know, I'm not, not going to like sugarcoat. I don't like him. Um, I really, really do not like him. But at the same time, I have to recognize that he has also done good. And there's a reason why, you know, he's as, as popular as he is. So it is a mixed bag. You know, there is some good, some bad. Um, it is a fine line to walk. And, you know, let's face it, he does Natty or Nots because people want to watch Natty or Nots. Oh, yeah, they love and the He's been very upfront about that. You know, he, he tries to sneak in educational content as well, which I do appreciate and mm -hmm. I do notice. Um, so maybe it's probably his fault. Maybe it's because there is no science of Natty or Not, right? Like it's it's at the end of the day, you don't know for a lot of these guys who are in the gray zone. Some guys, you look at them and you're like, okay, it's not natural, obviously. Like, no one actually thought Liver King was natural, right? <laughs> I mean, no one in the, in the fitness industry knew this kind of right. stuff. No one was like, you know, I don't know. I mean, look at the guy, you know, the the skin, the the amount of muscle mass, like it's, it's pretty clear. Um, So, but for that gray zone, which is where the most interesting natty or nots are, you don't actually know. Maybe you can look at the progress, see if there were any big jumps in muscle mass or something. 
Uh, maybe you could look for potential side effects or something. But at the end of the day, you don't know for sure. And there are a lot of ridiculous, actually natural physiques. Russell or Where you look at them and you're time. like, yeah. Like, I mean, I've seen some guys where five years ago, I would have been like, not natural. But after developing myself to a decent level, now I look at these physiques and I'm like, you know, I'm not that far off. Like, I'm, I'm five or ten maybe 15 pounds of muscle away from some of these guys mm -hmm. and they've been training for for five six seven eight years longer than i have i've been training about eight years um eight and a half years so i think you can do a lot more naturally than most people think if you really put time into it if you if, if you know someone dedicates themselves to it um most people would be surprised not just what is naturally possible for the elite you know the genetics the genetic elite yeah. Um, but just for the average person, if they really devote themselves to it, I mean, they can get a physique that they would probably call themselves not natural if they saw themselves uh, in the future, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I've been training for probably, I first started working out consistently in like probably seventh grade, which was probably 12, maybe even like I want to say probably like 15 years ago for me, something like that. And then I stopped. And then in like ninth grade and I'm 28 now. So, I mean, years and years and years and years that I've been training and I really didn't get serious until about, I would say 2019, maybe 2020. And then like, if you would have told me back then that I would have deadlifted, you know, 500 pounds for two reps at 188 pounds, I would have been like, no fucking way. There's absolutely no way. But it's kind of like you said, it's the matter of consistency, knowing what you're doing, constructing your training correctly. And then one thing that actually really helped me out, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, because I think you do a little bit this as well, is actually training to failure. Because like, when you never do it, you don't know how much more you have left in the tank until you start going balls to the walls. So then you kind of have to walk that fine line of like, hey, I need to train to failure so I know where my breaking point is. And then I have to figure out how I can leave two left in the tank because it seems like most research suggests that you can get the same benefit as going to failure if you kind of leave a few left in the tank for like most um, exercises from what I understand of the um, literature. So kind of curious about your thoughts on like kind of gauging going from a novice to like intermediate, maybe even advanced. Yeah, so you said something really interesting. You said, you know, you've been training for, what, 15 years or so? Mm -hmm. And, but, you know, how many years of that are, like, on point, you know, the diet and the sleep and the stress and, and you know, with the good structure? Probably, like, two? Two or I've three? or Probably four yeah. at most. Four. And that's being pretty generous. Yeah. Right, yeah. So I would say for myself, I'm, like, eight and a half years in, how many years have I had it like really dialed in? Yeah, two, like two, two years where I was fully, you know, I can look back at those years and be like, yeah, like you actually nailed those. Mm -hmm. And you can take, of course, the occasional day off, you know, the occasional week off, you know, a couple times a year. That's actually probably beneficial. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 95% of the time getting into the gym and working hard at least three to four days a week, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that consistency really does help a lot. Um, so I would say I have two years of that and then six years of like, eh, like, okay, you know, hard training, you know, really pushing myself, but not quite as dedicated as, as devoted. And a lot of that is the training to failure, you mm -hmm. know, or training close to failure. And I look back at a lot of my old clips from like 20... 16, 17, 18, uh, even if the 2019, 
and they weren't actually as close to failure as I thought. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh man, like that was really hard. There's no way I had one more. Then I look back at them now and I'm like, okay, yeah, I probably had four or five left. And the debate about zero versus two reps on reserve, I think it's going to be, it's complex. There are a yeah. lot of factors that go into that. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's, it's as simple as two reps on reserve equals zero reps in reserve. Yeah. A lot of it is going to be your level of advancement and what you've been doing recently. Mm-hmm. So if someone is a beginner, I would actually fully agree. You don't need to train to failure. It might not even be particularly beneficial. It might not be worse, uh, but I don't think there's anything special there. Just because as a beginner, you're so sensitive to training mm-hmm. that two reps on reserve is good enough. Right. I, I wouldn't necessarily do six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 reps on reserve. Because at that point, it's just, it's so easy that you're kind of just leaving gains on the table, even as a beginner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for a beginner, a true two to three reps in reserve is very, very good going. However, it has to be a true two to three reps in reserve mm-hmm. because a lot of people, again, they think it's two to three reps in reserve. It's actually, you know, when you say, hey, gun to your head, how many more can you do? You know, they did five reps the first set and then they're like, let's go, like really push. And, you know, you're, you're, egging them on and stuff and they get 12 reps the second set and you're just like well the first set didn't do anything it mm-hmm. just it was a it was a warm-up essentially you were at least seven reps in reserve and you can train this ability over time and this is actually a lot of where continued progression can come from because yeah. you get your newbie gains through you know training that is certainly not brutal just you know moderate reasonable not you know gut busting or anything like that but if you want to go further you have to give more, right? right? There's a cost to achieving a great physique. And there's nothing wrong with staying, you know, a lifetime intermediate. A lot of people who are advanced, they kind of look down on lifetime intermediates, but there's nothing wrong with being intermediate. If anything, you've gotten a good amount of growth without much investment, either in terms of invest, uh, in terms of your time, in terms of your effort, Uh, in terms of your knowledge like it doesn't take that much to go from beginner to intermediate yeah but if you want to keep going and this is where it's important that people are honest with themselves Mm -hmm. because a lot of people who are intermediate they think they're advanced and they're at some kind of genetic limit yeah when in reality they are intermediate and they've stalled because they are either not putting in the work or they're not willing to gain any weight and they're still lean or they just haven't learned anything new about training. They're not experimenting and trying new things and seeing what works for them. So, so many people are just not observant when it comes to their training, right? They'll, they'll DM their favorite fitness influencer and be like, oh, what should I do? <laughs> oh, <laughs> what's the best way to grow your chest? Well, how about you try some stuff, observe, you know, go by feel, try to use your intuition and, and observation to find out your muscle growth hypertrophy system and a lot of people don't want to do that because it is going to be more investment of time right Mm -hmm. and so when going back to the reps and reserve thing when you're intermediate you're probably going to have to train closer to failure than you were as a beginner right and when you're advanced you might get to the point where four or five reps and reserve just isn't really scratching that itch of muscle growth your body might just be like yeah you know nah, we're not gonna grow that's just not it's just not 
doing enough for us, right? And then, you know, when you're truly elite, I think that's where you might get to the point where you really have to be getting to those really tough, grindy reps, possibly even beyond failure type stuff, mm -hmm. if you really want to, you know, keep progressing. So it does depend on your level of advancement because of your sensitivity to the training, as well as how close you are to your hypothetical ceiling, whatever that might be. What's up, everybody? Um, we're going to take a quick break and tell you about the show's sponsors. Um, we are brought to you by Element T Electrolytes. I've been using this stuff for years, and what I've honestly found is that if I didn't have electrolytes before some kind of cardio, and sometimes even before workouts, that my workout performance, or definitely cardio performance, would suffer greatly. Um, Sodium is responsible for every single movement pretty much in your entire body. and let's say you drink a lot of caffeine, like I like to do, then um, maybe it is a good idea, like I do every single morning, um, put some LMNT chocolate electrolytes um, there in your coffee to get a little bit more sodium, potassium, and uh, magnesium in your coffee, so that way whatever diuretic effect you get from the caffeine is pretty much diluted by the fact that you put chocolate salt in it. Um, also, it tastes really, really good. Get some uh, chocolate creamer, hazelnut creamer, or even coconut, and uh, mix that all up. It tastes really, really good. So, uh, yeah, make sure you drop by, go to drinklmnt.com slash health and uh, pick you up some electrolytes today. All right, guys, thanks. All right. Furthermore, I think exercise selection, super important here, right? Mm -hmm. So if someone keeps two reps in reserve on something like a barbell back squat, fair enough, right? It's a big movement. It's a compound movement. Mm -hmm. There is a higher risk, not necessarily, you know, super risky, as long as your technique is good and you've adapted to it. Right. But let's face it, you're going to have a higher risk of injury on a barbell back squat taken to failure yeah. than something like a chest supported row. Mm -hmm. They're just, they're different movements. They need to be treated differently. And so if someone keeps two reps in reserve on a barbell, barbell back squat, fair enough. Another factor is that it's loaded at the bottom of the movement. So you look at something like an RDL, you look at something like a barbell back squat, you look at something like a barbell bench press, mm -hmm. all big movements, all ego-driven movements, which might be <laughs> part of it as well, you know. Um, a lot of people are not pushing their accessories. And so, you know, that's exactly where they should be pushing. And so those barbell movements, they are most taxing at the bottom part of the range of motion, the stretched part mm -hmm. of the range of motion, the lengthened part of the range of motion, which I would say means you don't necessarily need to be training as close to a failure because you're already hitting that huge stimulus of putting the stretch on the muscle. Yeah. Whereas if something is more of a shortened position, emphasized movement, so a lot of rows they are toughest in that contracted position. Mm -hmm. You look at something like a chest-supported row, it might depend if it's a machine, some of them are loaded slightly differently. But if you look at something just like a dumbbell chest-supported row, you put your chest on an incline bench, then you row up. Well, the very bottom is, is very, very easy. I mean, you could hold mm -hmm. massive amounts of weight with your arms outstretched, Yeah. right? Um, but the hardest part is that last little part of the range of motion. Mm -hmm. That last little bit of scapular retraction and, and the arm bend is where you will fail. So if you take a set of chest-supported rows, genuinely to failure, technical failure, it means you're only failing this tiny little piece, this little sliver 
of the range of motion. Because the minute you can't get full range of motion, according to the literature, and you know these, these guys who are emphasizing reps and reserve, that is failure. Mm-hmm. If you can't do, if you're doing a pull down or a pull up, and you barely can't get that last little part of the range of motion, which is the toughest, that is failure. I personally say F that, and I just keep going. Right. So I failed, but I don't see any reason to not take another rep. It might only be 95% of the range of motion of the rep I just got, even though I'm trying you know, to squeeze the back as hard as I can. Yeah. But I don't see any issue with that. And I've adapted to training that way. And sometimes I'll just keep going until I am minus five reps in reserve or minus eight reps in reserve or even minus 10 reps in reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had sets, and I don't necessarily recommend this to everyone, but I've had sets where I probably failed with technical failure in strict form on rep five or six. And I just kept going until I got 20 reps. Mm-hmm. And so by the end, I can, you know, that's where you can actually only barely bend your arms because you failed, you failed here, you failed here, you failed here, and you failed every little piece of the range of motion. And then now, you know, you're actually failing at the top. So it is much, much more fatiguing, which is bad. Fatigue is not good. But it's also much, much more stimulatory. And so if you have hit a plateau, this might be something worth considering. Another option might be something like cheat reps, where you go to failure with strict form, and then you allow yourself just a little bit of cheat on something like a pull down. Just a little bit of momentum. And this has to be controlled. Most people who do cheat reps, mm-hmm. they mess it up on a massive scale. You can just see these guys, they're cheating to use more weight. Right. They're cheating because they they were never using strict form. Mm-hmm. Right. From the very first half, they're 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 doing like who knows what. It's hips, it's spinal erector, it's you know, glued, it's hamstring, who knows what it is. It's it's abdominal at the very end. They're trying to crunch the weight down. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not good for muscle growth. That's a waste of time. Uh Probably also a higher risk of injury, just because you're you know you're flopping around, you're flailing around, you're slamming the weight out into that tough stretch position, which can mess up the shoulders and the elbows. So, but if you cheat well, if you cheat under control, you're cheating just enough where you can get full range of motion, but no more. You're cheating where it is still challenging for the muscles that you're trying to work. That can be extremely beneficial as well. Now, I wouldn't recommend this for beginners because it's just not needed. And right. because, Frank, they'll probably mess it up. Um, but once you're intermediate, this might be worth considering. And certainly once you're advanced, I think some controlled momentum on some movements can be extremely beneficial. And a lot of these guys who are obsessed with strict form, they will kind of dismiss chi reps. as just ego lifting or, or just people who want to move a lot of weight or people who can't do strict form. But in reality... While that is the majority of people who cheat, it's certainly not everyone. And I think that is being intellectually dishonest because not all cheating is the same. Yeah, I I agree with pretty much everything you laid out there. And especially with like the cheat reps, the thing that I think of is when I watch people do lateral raises, I see people with a 90 degree arm bend and they're sitting there doing this, but really it should be concentrated. And then if you need to, you know, do a little bit of cheating to get it up, that's going to be very stimulatory and it's going to help you get to those, you know, more fatiguing reps, which are going to give your muscles a greater stimulus. But if you're 
sitting there flopping around the entire time, then clearly you can't handle the weight. And I see people doing stuff like this or like the real small range of motion with the chest press. It's like, no, you should do the full range of motion, lower the weight so you get more reps. And if you get closer to failure, okay, that's fine. But like you shouldn't do your entire set cheating. It should be concentrated. Or like you said, with a lateral pull down, chest up and then pull down. And then if you need to on those last reps, then start cheating. Uh, It shouldn't be the entire set is cheated because once again you're not hitting the target muscle yeah 100 100 spot on and you can see it right like if i'm coaching someone it, it, part of the time i have people take weight off the bar mm-hmm. right like they're doing their weighted pull-ups but then they're like kipping yeah. with their legs from the start it's like wait, why are you even adding weight so it's like okay we're back to body weight and they're like back to body weight oh no like this is oh my ego oh mm-hmm. it hurts but for a lot of people, that's what they need, right. you know. But on the other hand, on some movements, I can tell if the person is getting more out of the set because they're using a slight amount of momentum, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe on something like a cable lateral raise, they're leaning into it a little bit on some reps. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, using a little bit of hips in the movement, not necessarily from the start, yeah. but it's still controlled. A, a good rule of thumb is that if you can't start the movement, and finish the movement with the target muscle, then it's probably just either too much weight or too far beyond failure, mm-hmm. right? So on something like a cable lateral raise, you should still feel that delt stretch at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And you should still feel that finish at the top of the movement. Even if it's not the very top where you can't get that full contraction, you should still feel that side delt work mm-hmm as high as you can if you're kind of just like flopping around uh, yeah it's probably not doing much for you mm-hmm. and i think that's where it could be injurious mm-hmm. yeah yeah um it, it is like i said interesting to watch people kind of at the gym and I, I try not to judge and sometimes you just want to be like hey man just just lower the weight like nobody really cares how much <laughs> you're lifting just do it right and you'll see much 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 more results like i find myself lowering weights not like all the time but you know you kind of have to take a mental note in your mind say like okay am i going through the full range of motion or am i just lifting this because i want to lift it like sometimes it sucks lowering the weight because to do the full range of motion <laughs> It fucking hurts, but you know, at the yeah. end of the day, that's going to be a greater stimulus. So like one thing that I've started doing recently over the last couple of months, cause I had a little back injury is that now I pretty much exclusively do trap bar deadlifts, which everybody says, Oh, that's not a real deadlift. Well, if you have a back injury and it irritates the fuck out of your lower back to do a regular barbell deadlift, maybe it's okay to do this for like a mesocycle or maybe for a few months and say, Hey, I'm going to get really good at this. And then I'm going to go back to, uh, you know, barbell deadlifting, like just like the stigma around some certain lifts and different stuff like that. I'm like, it's not necessary and it doesn't help because maybe someone could see a lot of benefit from maybe changing up for a certain period of time and then going back to, um, you know, the traditional lift or a different lift. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's getting better. I genuinely think it's getting better. You know, 10 years ago, well, maybe not 10 years ago, I've only been lifting eight and a half years, but when I first started lifting, yeah, there was a lot of really, really dogmatic thinking. And, you know, there still is. Yeah. But it's gotten better. You know, if you used to do neck training, you'd end up on a gym fail page. If you're doing, you know, your neck flexions on a bench with the plate on your head, people would be giving you weird looks. Nowadays, I think it's pretty normal. Mm-hmm. The Smith Machine, I mean, that got absolutely shat on mm-hmm. on a lot of forums. 
you know, you're not working. Are you stabilizing? Oh no, what are you going to do? Like, what, what's going to happen in real life when you don't have? Oh, it's not on a fixed track. You're well, going to tear a quad. Yeah, you, exactly. And so, speaking of tearing, I, I tore my QL mm-hmm. a little over a year ago, and actually kind of opened the door to experiment with new movements. Mm-hmm. I do think exercise variation and variability is, is very powerful. And so many people, they get stuck in this minimalist thinking where it's like, oh, I can only do these movements, only barbells, maybe dumbbells, that's it. Well, cables can be extremely, extremely beneficial. Ring training, I've, I've been getting into that. Um, I, I like them so much, I, I wrote a whole book on them. Like, I was shocked at how effective they were. Um, and I would have written those off three, four years ago. It's like, oh, some calisthenics bullshit. I have actually an answer on Quora. Where I was like, calisthenics are never going to build muscle. Like, this is like, it's never going to work. And then, you know, mm-hmm. a few years later, I have a freaking book about it. Like, and, and, you know, so I think some people get more dogmatic as they get older. Mm-hmm. Other people get less dogmatic. I found that for whatever reason, I fall into the second category and it's been extremely, extremely beneficial, you know, for my muscular growth, but also, you know, for my growth as a content creator and as a coach. And yeah, just trying new things, having more tools in your toolbox, super beneficial. The trap bar is another good example where, you know, people used to be, you see the old guard, I won't name any names. Like you can only do your fives. Okay, everyone knows who I'm talking about. You can only do your fives and you can't use the trap bar because of like the front front to back instability or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that could be a benefit. A lot of what people think is a bug is actually a feature right? Like having more stability could be good. Having less stability could also be good. Like there's a time and a place for a lot of different tools. So I'm definitely on team trap bar. I think it's a, it's a great option. High handles, low handles, power shrugs, farmer's walks. I don't like them for rows for whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, but some people do and you know, they can try that. I actually did a video on the trap bar. One thing I would not advise are, I saw a guy doing squats so he was, he was holding oh, the trap God. bar around here and doing squats like that like some kind of bastardized front squat or something thing is like with a back squat if you fail you can dump the bar behind you with the oh, front God. squat you can dump the bar in front of you if you fail with the trap bar you yeah. are you're choking <laughs> yeah like i don't know what you're gonna do but it's yeah. not gonna end well and so i saw that and it's like one of those examples of people putting out content without thinking about it mm-hmm. for like 10 seconds about what could go wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on team trap bar for sure. Uh, actually my current gym doesn't have one, which kind of sucks. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's a valuable tool if someone has access to it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I've actually taken a real big liking to doing RDLs with the uh, trap bar, especially for the barbell, because I just find that it's a lot more comfortable mm-hmm. and, um, like I said, I injured my back because I wasn't really focused on form. I was doing way too much ego for deadlifting and man, I'll never forget how bad that sucked getting out of the car. And I'm like, Ooh, and then, um, yeah. And and forever, um, I used to not bench press. And then over the last like year I started bench pressing again. I'm like, Oh, well, no wonder my chest is always lacked is because I'm not putting sufficient weight to my chest. But you know, it's just because you hear a bro once tell you, Oh, bench pressing is bad for your shoulder. Don't do it. And then you abstain from it for years and years and years. And then you realize, Holy shit. I left 
all this on the table. So there's, you know, just a lot of this dogma. And I don't think it helps anybody. And it goes to the nutrition realm as well. Oh, it's worse than the nutrition, I think. Um, <laughs> I think it's because I think it's because we all eat. And mm-hmm. so everyone has an opinion on diet. Yeah. And it's also so individual. The training is individual, but diet is like, I mean, completely individual. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the differences in training that we like to argue about on the internet, I mean, they're pretty small differences in the grand scheme of things. Like, you know, lift hard, lift heavy, five to 30 reps for hypertrophy. You know, we're quibbling over like two reps in reserve or zero reps in reserve or, or three reps in reserve. Like, at the end of the day, even for me, what I know myself really well, sometimes I don't know if that was three or four reps in reserve. Mm-hmm. Like I finished set, right? Which, and I don't do three to four reps very often, but you know, maybe on something like a barbell back squat, sometimes I'm like, did I have one left or two left? And I'm not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, sometimes we're arguing about something where most people can't even measure it, right? right? Because unless you know yourself really well, you know, oh, is that RPA 8.5 or nine? Like it's, it's a little bit blurry at times. But nutrition, I mean, you have people who are like carnivore, the ultimate diet. Other people are like <laughs> vegan is well, the ultimate diet. And so the average person goes in there and is like, I mean, basically whatever they stumble across first and whoever is the most charismatic is like the diet they fall into, right? Mm-hmm. And again, we all eat. And so we all have an opinion on diet. And then it's also so individual that, you know, some, some, someone who is very charismatic and influential Mm-hmm. might be someone who responds really well to low-carb dieting. And so suddenly, that's the thing that is the thing for everyone, right? And so they're selling this idea uh, or sometimes just selling a book or, or selling something, and this is suddenly the cure, the solution for everyone, which is, I mean, it's, it's moronic when you think about it, but most people don't, right? They don't actually question something. They just sort of get caught up in the marketing and so they're like, oh, this is this is the diet for me. This is the ultimate human diet. Well, you're going to have to experiment with a few things right. and see what you respond best to. I mean, it's similar to training, at least in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people are not willing to do that. And so you get the people who uh, they get swept up in veganism and they feel like shit, but they don't want to admit it because then mm-hmm. it's like they failed or something. Yeah. Um, and they feel like they failed even if maybe it was a lack of B vitamins or something, right? Uh, or maybe, you know, they get caught up in carnivore and they're like, oh, vegetables are bad. Vegetables are killing you. Fruits, never eat a fruit. Oh, lectins, bad. And, you know, they're actually kind of sabotaging themselves because they would be better off with a more moderate approach, but moderation doesn't sell. No, God, You no. can you know, you're never going to make money preaching hard work and moderation, right? Like I'll probably never be a fitness millionaire, mm-hmm. but you know, at the end of the day, I'm okay with that um, because I'm not that materialistic anyway. <laughs> so it's like, it works out. Um, but if you really want to make a shitload of money in the fitness industry, you're not going to make it with moderation. Like it's just not, yeah. it's just not the way to go. No, it's, it's kind of crazy to me because I've been um, swatting some of the uh, artificial sweetener and the seed oil stuff lately just because like that is like the big push now like oh artificial sweeteners are killing your gut they're making you more hungry and you're eating more and then seed oils are the enemy of everything it's like i don't don't think you guys ever like really looked into 
any of this stuff because all the experts that are like in this field and all the research that's been done on all of these they'll pretty much tell you straight up like this stuff's not that bad and i see um somebody i think we both kind of know and like sort of um who's a growing channel who's started to kind of push some of this stuff too and i'm like come on man you provided some good information but like i don't know just giving people orthorexia over ingredients to me is just like the dumbest shit in the world and this is what a lot of those fitness um and nutrition influencers will do is they'll give people essentially orthorexia um by telling them you have to avoid this because this is killing you like paul saladino is always the one that i think of first because he's running in the store shirtless throwing vegetables on the ground saying this is bullshit it's like dude fuck that like include these foods if you can include them but i mean if they don't sit with you well then obviously avoid them but like seed oils artificial sweeteners sugar um saturated fat to perhaps a lesser degree like this stuff's not that bad for you just as long as you're not gorging on sugar and protein shakes for the entirety of your diet you're gonna be fine yeah no it's it's um and again moderation is not gonna sell and and i find saladino the most interestingly named person of all time Uh because he's got the word salad in his name and uh not a fan of those so you know shout out to mom and pop saladino for <laughs> raising i guess maybe he just didn't like salads as a kid and you know yeah. so he grew up to be a mediator or something but you know at the end of the day i know some people who do thrive on a fairly carnivore-esque mm-hmm. diet and as long as someone is like hey this works for me and it might work for you fair enough i have zero issues yeah. with that that's almost never what it actually is, especially okay. with with the rise of short form content. You look at TikTok, you look at Instagram reels, you look at YouTube shorts. There's just no time for nuance. You know, there's there, it's like you have a few seconds to capture someone's attention. And so, you know, vilifying foods that everyone is already eating is going to be something that takes off. I think it's actually more than the time that you have to capture someone's attention. It is the fact that it's just that more people engage with extreme content, Mm -hmm. right? Like five tips to lose weight. And it's like, eat vegetables, get your sleep. It's just like basic stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just, there's no virality, if you will. Uh, It's just, there's not gonna, it's not gonna take off. Uh, And this is part of the reason why I don't make short form content, just because I don't know how I would be successful with it. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to title things in a way that is, inflammatory provocative clickable to the point where it's usually clickbait and i would feel like i would have to apologize for the title in the first few seconds and then it just wouldn't do any wouldn't go anywhere anyway so i kind of just stick to you know longer form stuff um and you know some people have successfully done short form content where it is more nuanced i think if you're doing myth busting and you're you know your title is sort of grab from someone else's bs title and it's in quotes or something and you're responding to it i think that's fair enough but you know i see so many posts that have like five million views or 10 million views and it's just like awful information Mm -hmm. absolutely terrible and you know it's really hard to combat that especially you know some people are only consuming short form content yeah and so you know half the stuff they see is is bs and then of course yeah they get they get caught up in this kind of cultishness 
Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned TikTok. And I think uh, before we closed out last time, we were kind of talking about that. But yeah, like the short form content is good for like the too long didn't read generation, which is most of like, I'm, I believe you're probably around the same age as me. I just turned 28 back in November. Um, so like a lot of our generation does just want to click and watch and then just keep swiping through. So when you have somebody, I think Lane Norton does some shorter form form content. He's somebody that I really look up to and admire because he's good at dispelling bullshit. But, you know, as they say, it literally takes seconds to spit out bullshit and then takes a much longer time to dispel bullshit. Yeah, cleaning it up is the tough, is the tough job. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, uh, I'm actually, I'm almost 34. I'll be 34 in, uh, in about a month. Mm-hmm. So um i i guess i'm i'm lucky in a way that i didn't grow up with this kind of short form content i mean i've seen people i've seen like kids where they literally have two phones and they're swiping on two phones and like one is a game and the other is a video or something and you know they're just like dialed in to this and oh man like you can just tell they're going to be maybe not 100% chance but they're I mean, they're going to be messed up probably as a, as an adult mm-hmm. just because they won't be able to... I mean, delayed gratification, super freaking important. Mm-hmm. I mean, in so many areas of life, being able to say, hey, I know I could do this thing that is pleasurable and enjoyable or this thing, other thing, which might not be pleasurable and enjoyable right now, but it'll get me to my goals. I mean, if you look at most successful people in life, they have that ability. And, you know, I think if you have this culture where you're just always swiping for the next thing and it's always right there in, in literally milliseconds, I mean, it's, it's really tough to cultivate that ability to delay gratification right. and be able to actually make long-term progress as a human being. And so, man, I don't want to say for sure this next generation is going to be messed up, because I'm sure every generation has said that about the next generation <laughs> the past 200 freaking years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and things tend to, I don't know, they seem to work out. But man, things do seem to be accelerating. And now you have AI. So kids aren't going to have to do their homework. They're just fucking asking chat GPT. <laughs> chat GPT, you do my fucking homework, bitch. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, like teachers are going to be at a crossroads, like, how do you check to see if a human being actually wrote this? How do you regulate that? Mm-hmm. College application essays, you know, what is the role of education in our society? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, our math teachers, I don't know if you've heard this, but they used to say, oh, you'll never have a calculator in your pocket. Well, yeah, I yeah okay. That didn't, like, so, it's so, you know, technology, it can help, but it can definitely also hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, most Chinese people, uh, it's called it's something called TV Wangzi. So it's basically lift the pen, and then you forget how to write the character. Mm-hmm. And this is because people don't write characters very much. And so you won't forget very common characters or your name or something. Yeah. But you might forget slightly obscure characters. You know, out of the top 3,000 characters that you don't, you don't write that often or you don't type that often. But because you're always typing it on your phone, which doesn't involve drawing, usually it involves like spelling out the romanticized uh, opinion, it's called. Mm-hmm. And then you you recognize the character and you select it. And that's how you type. 
Mm -hmm. But that's not the same as writing, right? So you're typing it in and then you're recognizing it and you're clicking it. That's not the same as actually having to go through all the strokes yourself and actually write out the character. So a lot of people nowadays are just forgetting how to write, mm -hmm. which didn't happen before this technology. So I think people's memories are going to get kind of sus. I think people's ability to read, mm -hmm. to just read a book is going to be, and I've actually found this myself, maybe from being on social media and, and as a content creator and just getting, you know, constant stimulation, I struggle to read. I struggle to read more than like five minutes at a time yeah. because I'll, I'll have DMs, I'll have emails, I'll have everything. So I've had to be really strict myself with closing down where I do certain tasks mm -hmm. to where I'm not working all the, all the, you know, all the time. So emails will be morning DMS will be, you know, morning, but it won't be constant. Right. Right. Like I'll put my phone away and work on something else. And it'll be away, like out of sight in another room, maybe. And then I'll check DMs again, you know, at a, certain, at a later time. When I'm training, I don't check DMs typically. Uh, and then I'll check them when I'm walking around a little bit. But man, it can get overwhelming to the point where it really does mess up your attention span. And um, I think it's something you have to be proactive with, at least if you want to uh, retain and maintain being a functional human being. But these kids growing up, maybe they've never learned or they never will learn that ability to do that. And so their new normal is going to be like just, you know, hyper vigilant and always focusing on the new thing and always trying to get that dopamine release. And so, uh, I don't know. It'll, I'm not worried, but I am kind of interested in how, how things are going to go. Yeah. Um, as a musician, I'm intrigued by AI and I'm also kind of optimistic because I feel like um, the, the cream of the crop is going to rise a lot more and it's not going to take that much work to put out something unique. So the one story I always tell on the podcast when I'm talking to people about AI is that like my singer um, in my band, Jen, I remember when we recorded our first four song EP, um, the engineer was trying to like pitch correct her and he stopped. He's like, look, I could fuck with this all day, but you're like so spot on that I can't do anything with it. So like in my mind, I'm like, she worked for that. And she earned that. So like the people who are willing to put in the work, put in the time, put in the effort, they'll still come out on top no matter what, because an AI will never be able to get the same like breath, the same personality in the way a guitar may play or, you know, even like certain lifts and stuff like that. So like, I guess this would kind of throw it back to your expertise and kind of what we're both interested in is like an AI will never be able to coach an individual. Like they may be able to give you like a general idea of programming, but like everyone's physiognomy and physiology is going to be a little bit different. So like, you're still going to have to have somewhat personal coaching. Like you're still going to have to have a one-on-one -on -one connection with somebody for them to kind of walk you through all this stuff, unless we get to some sort of AI that can tell joint angles and all this stuff from looking at you from the side. But I, I, I don't think that technology is going to be there for a very, very, very long time, if at all. I am stoked to tell you guys about the show's new sponsor. I am now working with MTS Nutrition, which is a brand that I've believed in for a very long time, and they run awesome cells and they have awesome products. So um, I want to tell you about their amazing protein powder, which you're going to ask me how many pounds I have of the protein powder, and the answer is all of them. So here I got red velvet cake, 25 grams of protein, and they have the amino acids and everything on there, 59 servings. Peanut butter fluff, uh, fluffernutter, 26 grams of protein, 
and then also the chocolate chip cookie, which literally has real pieces of chocolate chip cookie in there. So 27 grams of protein, 180. As I've talked about on the show, getting your protein in is very, very important. So make sure you hit that link below and purchase your protein powder through MTS Nutrition. Boom! Yeah, I'm not worried about, I've, I've been asked that a few times and, and people are like, are you worried about AI replacing you? No, not at all. But if I was a coach where, you know, my sales pitch was like, I can tell you your macro. <laughs> yeah, you're screwed. Like you're you're done. You've probably already been phased out. There are apps that yeah. can do that. Uh, macro factor, mm-hmm. uh, carbon. I mean, there's a bunch of them. Um, where, you know, if that was your sales pitch, like I can tell you what ratio of carbs to fat. Like that was never. It was never really a thing that people could do exactly anyway. Yeah. Um, and even now, like I think that's going to be replaced. And so, yeah, the bar just gets higher, but. If you are in the top few percent of anything, I mean, you have, I have job security. I'm not worried. I mean, there's what, eight or nine billion people on the planet. And the idea that I couldn't find, you know, a few dozen to coach is like, I can't even imagine that situation. Like, it's almost laughable because I usually don't mention my coaching in videos because it causes too much demand. And so I, you know, plug the shit out of my books, but I don't mention coaching. Um, and so if I ever like needed that, I could, I could just, you know, mention it once and then, you know, that would be, be fine. Um, I think we will probably get to the point where it will correct your form. Mm-hmm. Um, but form is pretty individual and form. Sometimes it's not just the joint angles or how someone's moving. You do have to talk to them and you do have to have experience with people who are similar to them. Um, And there's a lot that goes into it. And so I don't think AI is going to be tackling that anytime soon. And the AI training plans that I've seen, actually someone said that they put my book through ChatGPT today and it spit out a training plan and it was okay. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't terrible. Which I mean, I guess it's a good sign. It's kind of a pat on the back of me because it's my book that went through it. Um, but but it, you know, it it wasn't perfect. Like there were a few things where I kind of raised my eyebrows at the progression was super aggressive. It was like add ten to twenty percent weight per week, and I'm like, what the fuck? That's a. I mean, that's if you're more advanced, ten to twenty percent in a year is good going, um, let alone per week, uh, and so. I think AI is not quite there. The hype is certainly there. Yeah. Um, and I think that it will be accelerating. If you look at the differences between, you know, chat GPT one, two, three, four, it does seem to be gaining in capabilities pretty damn quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if someone is, I mean, it's like robotics. If someone is a, is a McDonald's worker or something, I mean, yeah, that, that is probably or a factory worker or something like that like that could be that could be replaced um but in terms of coaching or content creation yeah i don't think i mean unless someone makes a jeff ai that you know makes videos and it's like no one can tell the difference um 
but that's okay because then I could just sue their asses. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so one thing that you kind of touched on there earlier when we were talking about TikTok and short form content is the uh, delaying of gratification, which um, I'm sure you know just as well as I do as a more trained athlete that you kind of have to learn to live with a lot more. And even like this goes to diet. So like when my wife or I want to go out and have like a nice dinner or something like that, like we want to go to the Cheesecake Factory or something like that, then I have to say in my mind, like, okay, I'm going to eat very, 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 very sparingly throughout the day. I'm going to be very hungry. And then I'm going to get the reward later on in the day. Same deal when it comes to training. Like you're going to have to work very, very hard and, you know, you're going to have to bulk and not like the way that you look maybe at certain points of the year to finally put on significant mass and then remember like, oh, well, when I cut down, I'm going to look this much better. And it's not always going to be notable year to year to year, but over time, that's going to make a difference. Like for me, I didn't start training my legs seriously until just a couple of years ago. And like at first I didn't see anything. And then now it's like, oh, well, when I'm doing 315 pounds for reps, my quads look 10 times better than they did four years ago. But it's just because, you know, that delaying of gratification, not, you know, just saying, well, my legs don't look like, you know, Ronnie Coleman's right now. So fuck it, I'm done. Um, it, it took time. Yeah, oh, 100%. And, you know, training, especially naturally, is really like the ultimate form of delayed gratification, especially <laughs> when you get more advanced. Um, and in some ways, it's nice because beginners don't know how good they have it in some cases. Mm -hmm. right? Like they plateaued week to week once, and they're like, oh, my God, I used the same weight two weeks in a row. Mm -hmm. Uh once like and then the next week it was fine and they're kind of like freaking out because this one time they couldn't progressively overload um but when you're more advanced i mean that yeah that's like it becomes a little bit more difficult to actually track progress you have to be very very observant you know with how something felt or like getting an extra rep here uh or, or maybe you know something felt slightly better and so you really do have to be observant and you have to realize you know, it's going to take a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Because the, the more gains you get, the tougher gains are to get, essentially. Yeah. You know, you get, you get those diminishing returns. However, those returns are also what separate you from everyone else. Mm -hmm. So if you put on five pounds of muscle as a beginner, it's probably noticeable, especially as if you're lean, mm -hmm. year to year, five pounds on beginner, you can see the difference. But five pounds on, you know, an advanced natural lifter or an elite natural lifter, I mean, five pounds at the highest level, it could be the difference between, you know, a World Natural Bodybuilding Federation title mm -hmm. and like sixth right. or eighth. Five pounds is massive at that level and it's visible too, right? Mm -hmm. Like five pounds, you can absolutely see the difference, especially when you're lean. Maybe the lats flare out a little bit more, like there's a little bit more roundness in the delts, mm -hmm. the arms are visibly bigger, et cetera, the quad sweep or something. So the more gains you get, the harder it is to get them, but the more they actually matter, especially mm -hmm. compared to other people. Now, I think this is part of the reason why some natural lifters are a little bit salty with regards to enhanced lifters, because they look at them as just sort of like jumping over this entire process and not having to fight for those tiny little gains at the end. They're just sort of, I mean, if you look at the best enhanced lifters, often they're like, not often, but, you know, there are 300 pound lean, like stage lean enhanced lifters. Mm -hmm. 300 pounds on stage. 
And these are not like six foot six guys. These are like five foot six guys in some cases where they're just, I mean, 300 pounds. Whereas you look at the best natural guys, I mean, they're often under 200 pounds. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're often like 180, 170, 160, right. somewhere around there. And so, I mean, this is not icing on the cake, right? This is a, a massive difference. It could be almost 100 pounds of lean body mass and possibly even more in some cases. So it does make a tremendous difference. And I think some natural lifters, and this has been me in the past, they get salty when they see someone absolutely blow up. Um, but I think you have to realize, you know, they're essentially trading their health and their longevity for muscle, right? And so I guess that's their decision. For me, I'm comfortable with the decisions that I've made. and. You know, I, I kind of view it as two completely separate things, right? So I don't compare myself to enhanced lifters anymore. I used to because that's kind of like just a pretty miserable road to go down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I've found useful, and I've heard you talk about it a little bit, and it seems like it's also getting talked about in fitness circles a lot more, is uh, deloads. I had Dr. Bill Campbell on, and he shared a study with me from his research review that I found really interesting. And obviously, none of these study designs are like perfect, but I think they had a group who trained linearly for like six months, and they never took any deloads. And then there was one where they trained like I want to say it was like three or four weeks on and then two weeks off. And by the end of the study, both of them were like, neck and neck like they were right on with each other yeah i mean it's um i've also seen a study where one group did six weeks on three weeks off six weeks on and the other group did 15 weeks on i think what was the training age of these of these uh individuals were, were they fairly beginner or I, I, if I recall correctly, I think they were fairly beginner. I, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure they were relatively new. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes sense then, because the more muscle you gain, the further you have to fall. Mm -hmm. So if you're a beginner and then you make some gains, you're not going to lose those gains as easily. Yeah. And then you return to training and then you just sort of keep going and you return to training, you sort of keep going. But I think if you're advanced, I mean, Deloading is one thing. Um, was this deloading or time off completely? Um, I think it might have been time off completely in this specific study. Okay. So for me, I don't know any advanced natural lifter mm -hmm. who takes huge amounts of time off on a very regular basis. Yeah. A lot of them do take, you know, a week off a couple times a year maybe two weeks off but that's pushing it yeah a couple times a year but i don't know any who routinely like every month take a week off or something like yeah. off completely away from the gym i'm not gonna say it's impossible but i will see that i will say that it's very unusual because i think if you're the kind of person who wants to maximize their physique you're probably going to hate being away from the gym anyway mm -hmm. and so if you really love training I mean, I train every day. I train every day um, because I enjoy it. I like it. And I think if you really love something, which you need to really do, I mean, you need to love training if you're going to achieve a very high level. Um, if you kind of like just enjoy training a little bit or you like it, then it's probably going to be tough to really put in the work and the time necessary. Mm -hmm. um, 
Now, is it possible? Yeah, maybe. But I think the people who have the mentality of really trying to push things probably won't end up trending like that. It could, I mean, it could be effective. I'm not going to say that it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm certainly not saying the results of the study are invalid. Yeah. Um, but I, I am saying it does kind of juxtapose with the observations of yeah. very, very high level lifters. So I think it's one of those things where beginners versus advanced, it does change. The game does change the closer you are to, you know, your hypothetical potential. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone has to take a week off, they should absolutely feel free to do that occasionally. Mm-hmm. It's where it becomes a regular thing, right. where it messes up your work capacity, because then you go back to the gym and you're, you're getting sore really easily and you mm-hmm. can't put in as many sets and you have to readapt to training. Your work capacity goes down, your recovery capacity goes down. Your being in tune with the movements also goes down. So some people do hit PRs after a week of almost no training. I absolutely cannot. I degraded performance ridiculously quickly. It sucks. Um, Maybe this is probably because I don't take time off that frequently, probably once or twice a year, roughly, on average. Um, But when I do, I notice it. I notice it very, very quickly. And I even notice a very significant drop in body weight. So if I come back to training after, you know, 10 days of not training, I usually go back to my wife's hometown in uh, for Chinese New Year in like January, February. Yeah. Every year when I do it, I come back having lost like five or six pounds, despite eating a whole bunch of food. You know, our family's super nice, eating a whole bunch of food, not moving a lot, looking softer and fatter, to be frank. Yeah. I'll show up and, and my weight will be down. A significant amount. It happens every year. The first time it happened, I thought my scale was broken. Uh, but now <laughs> I'm just kind of used to it. Mm-hmm. And so I basically reverse recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I get I get the opposite of what everyone wants. I I don't know if I lose muscle, but I certainly lose glycogen and I lose probably water that is in the muscle, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I probably do gain fat because I'm less active and then eating more. So I essentially reverse recall. And then over the next few weeks, I actually recomp. And I do think it is maybe not necessarily good for long-term progress, but I think it is acceptable for long-term progress. Mm-hmm. And if you can't take a week off from training occasionally, I do think that is a problem mentally mm-hmm. for most people, right? Because that at that point, it's kind of like an addiction or a compulsion. And it's a good addiction to have of all the addictions that, you know, you know, alcohol, cigarettes, like there are lots of addictions that people have that are eh, not great. Mm-hmm. Training is is a pretty decent one if you're going to pick one. Um, but I do think being able to take a week off occasionally is probably a good idea. Maybe not necessarily for the physiological benefits or the resensitization, but more for the mental side of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a, a world outside of the gym. Yeah. So um, I found that deloads for me have helped actually quite a bit and um now i do like four days a week so i'll do like a, a full body push a full body pull and then you know repeat that usually the way that i program a deload is i'll just do like the regular workouts that i always do and then 
like before when I would do push pull legs, I would just reduce the volume, but keep the intensity relatively high. So like, instead of doing six sets in a workout, I may go down to three or four. Now I'll just do the regular workout two days a week instead of four days of the week. And then I find that I'm usually pretty good the following week, because it, it seems like as long as your intensity is there, you're still going to get a stimulus and you're going to maintain. But as long as you're not just like going in and not working hard at all, then you're going to be generally okay. And I think some people, like you said, just, want to say fuck it and you know take too much time off but it's important you still kind of walk that fine line so to me what that study said is basically like hey you should program deloads in a smarter way because you know taking like multiple weeks off is a bad idea but if you just take like a day or or, you know a week off or just do a little bit less intense training for a week that's probably a good way to do it yeah and i I auto regulate them personally i don't even necessarily refer to them as deloads but if I'm having trouble warming up or I feel beaten up or I am losing the desire to train and my motivation and desire to train is almost always very, very, very high. And so <laughs> it's like, if I go in and I'm just like, yeah, I don't know, I'm not really, I'm not really feeling it. That's a huge red flag. Like that to mm-hmm. me is like, you probably cook things the past week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know how to how to feel where that is, and I make adjustments. I mean, nowadays I make adjustments before I get to that point, mm-hmm. right? Because I can feel it. I, I know if I did like another set, then it's it's too much. Right? Yeah. Like the other day, I did a set of RDLs, and one of the hardest sets I've ever done. Like just very, very, very hard. Yeah. And I had been doing two or three sets. I did not do two or three sets that day. That one set was plenty. I could just sense I had done enough to stimulate muscle growth. Doing more would have been counterproductive. Mm-hmm. There would have been not only no benefit, it would have been worse for progression mm-hmm. because it would have been just excessively too much. Yeah. And so I think being able to auto-regulate in that way is very, very beneficial. I think for strength, there is a case for reducing the load, reducing the weight on the bar and keeping your sets just for technical purposes. So if you've been doing, say, uh, a three by five with a hundred kilos on something, okay, maybe your deload might be three by five with 80 kilos or Mm -hmm. 70 kilos, right? 70 or 80% or something like that, which should be very, very, very easy. Like that should be, I mean, that might be 10 reps in reserve for some people. That might be, yeah, that might be 10 reps in reserve, 12 reps in reserve. It'll be a lot for episode reserve, right? But you're still getting that technical practice. Now, you don't want to drop this all the way down to, like, the bar yeah. because that's a different movement, right? Like, squatting with the bar versus squatting 80% of the weight you were using, those are essentially different movements, mm-hmm. right? The bar is not enough weight to actually be training your technical proficiency mm-hmm. because you essentially have to deaccelerate the bar. Yeah. So if you're bench pressing and it's just the bar, you can't even put a lot of force into it because halfway through your body's like, oh, well, we better, you start using your back in a way that you wouldn't on a normal bench because you have to anticipate not throwing the bar through the ceiling. Yeah. And so you, it's essentially a different movement. So I think if I see someone deload and they go from you know less than half of their weights, I think that is probably not a good idea. 
All right, guys. Um, I am absolutely thrilled with the uh, show's new sponsor. Um, I am now sponsored and uh, have an affiliate through LMNT Electrolytes. Um, I have used these electrolytes for years. Um, back when I used to do a lot of fasting, in fact, I used to drink sometimes I want to say up to seven a day, seven little packets. So um, the packets are full of all the electrolytes that you need to perform and hydrate yourself properly. Um, you need sodium for pretty much every single function in your body, despite what um, a lot of people may tell you. Um, sodium doesn't actually cause a lot of the issues that uh, people kind of would have you believe. So um, just real quick to give you a little bit of facts. Um, you don't need sugar to hydrate. Electrolytes and water don't require glucose to pass through the gut. The average American consumes over 60 pounds of sugar a year. And um, when it comes to athletic performance, um, you can actually lose up to seven grams per day in hot climate. So um, make sure you click on the affiliate link below to get all your hydration needs. And like I said, I'm super stoked to have these guys um, teamed up with the podcast and uh, just make sure you get your uh, electrolytes through Element. All right, guys, thanks. But chopping some weight off 20, 30% somewhere in there could be useful. And then keeping the same volume, which should be very, very easy, keeps you in tune with the movement uh, and allows for fatigue management and recovery. But for muscle growth, usually the movements are less technical, so that's not as much of a concern. Usually you're not doing lower reps anyway, and those tend to be less technical. Like sets of eight, 10, 12, 15, typical hypertrophy stuff, mm. it's not that technical. A one rep max is very technical, especially yeah. on some movements, um, because you don't really have a chance to sort of feel a movement out, it's just one mm. and done. Yeah. Same for a double, a triple, quite technical. Um, so bodybuilding is just less technical in general. The movements are usually a little bit more isolated, a little bit lighter. Like a dumbbell bench press versus a barbell bench press, dumbbells are a little bit lighter, right? Um, which uh, could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, but it does mean that it's usually less technical. You're not like setting up for your dumbbell bench press and like really, you know, arching and stuff and yeah. getting leg drive and stuff. No, it's, it's more isolated. For bodybuilding training, I like doing pretty similar to what you do to where you reduce the sets, but you keep the effort. Mm -hmm. Maybe keep an extra rep or two in, in the tank, just because I think when someone gets very, very big and very, very strong, even doing one hard set, if it's to failure, could be enough fatigue that it gets rid of the deload anyway, right? Oh, so right. I think for most people, reducing the volume is a good idea for bodybuilding style training. Uh, and then you could also maybe keep an extra rep or two in reserve. For me, if I'm doing most of my work, either very close to failure or to failure or beyond failure, mm -hmm. for me, one rep in reserve is a deload. Right. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, one rep in reserve. <laughs> like that's that's the end of my mesocycle. Like mm -hmm. they do sort of the typical four reps in reserve one week, then three reps in reserve, two, one, then maybe zero reps in reserve. And then they deload, then they start again at 4, 3, 2, 1, et cetera. But my deload is one or two reps in reserve. Mm. And to them, like it, you know, they, like it's a complete opposite because what caused them a lot of fatigue is actually freshening me up. But that's just because that's what I'm used to, right? It's not necessarily that, you know, oh, I'm so hardcore. Look at me. It's just that is what works best for me, right? Like if someone can get results on 10 reps in reserve, more power to them, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's lower risk of injury, lower effort, lower chance of burnout. And so if you can make progress with a whole bunch of reps in reserve, um, 
to me, that's not necessarily a bad thing mm -hmm. until you can't make progress, right? right. So it, it does depend on, are you progressing? Um, and this is where a training log is absolutely essential. I'm amazed by how many people message me. They don't have a training log, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're, they're wondering about something and they're not even tracking the progress. Track your progress, people. Mm -hmm. That is going to be the only way that you know if something is working or not working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one thing there also is like the neuromuscular adaptations when it comes to doing heavier stuff. Um, I was listening to Iron Culture this morning and I remember um, them going over a study, yeah, where they had mentioned that uh, people doing a leg press, I think it was in this one study, um, they were doing more weight, but they actually didn't grow any muscle. And it was strictly because they were learning the neuromuscular adaptation with doing like a leg press or something like that. Because some of those higher difficulty reps, like, you know, the last couple reps on a bench press or a deadlift or back squat, some of that is just like the pure grinding through that rep where like if you first start out you're not going to be used to that you don't know how to overcome that but though as you get more and more sufficiently trained you kind of know like okay i have to grip my teeth and just fucking push on through this yeah no it's um i would say most movements are more technical than most people think mm -hmm. so we tend to think of like oh technical movements uh clean and jerk or snatch you know, or calisthenics, maybe some kind of skill movement, like a, mm -hmm. a human flag or, or something like that. But I think actually a lot of machines and isolations are more technical than most people think. Mm -hmm. So, you know, something like a standing barbell curl, you might think, oh, it's an isolation movement. Therefore, it's not going to be technical. Well, the delts are still working a bit. Mm -hmm. Even with strict form, you're still getting, you know, delt activation. You can see this when someone is lean, if they do a curl, you can see like their delts actually fire up mm -hmm. as as they're lifting the weight just to stabilize the scapula as well. So the upper back, the traps, the rhomboids. Because when you curl, you have this big weight out in front of you. Mm -hmm. And so you know it is working the shoulders to keep everything stabilized. Yep. Right. So of course it's working your biceps, it's working your forearms, it's working your lower back, right? Your spinal erectors to keep everything upright and locked in, mm -hmm. right? you have a pretty significant weight, you know, it could be, I'll usually curl with like, well, I don't do barbell curls much, but you know, if I was to run a mesocycle of barbell curls, I'd probably be using uh, probably a little bit over a plate per side. So like 60 ish kilos, 135. Hmm. And I mean, that's a pretty significant amount of weight in front of you. And it's yeah. pretty significantly in front of you, especially if you have, you know, long monkey arms. And so that does require a lot of bracing of the core, mm -hmm. a lot of spinal erectors, hips, glutes, even quads, and then coordination just to keep everything locked in, right. especially with a heavier weight. And that's with strict form. Mm -hmm. That's with strict form. Once you start, you know, talking about potentially beyond failure stuff, I mean, that's where you have even more potential for it to be technical. Mm -hmm. And so then you even go into like machines. I, I find machines not to be as technical as free weights, obviously, that's kind of the whole point, but you will see this quick jump in performance, whereas you might not get that later. So for example, if I started a new machine in the gym, let's go with a leg press, the first few workouts, I'm butchering the PRs. Mm -hmm. I mean, every week I'm getting many more reps or adding weight very, very quickly at a rate that is absolutely not indicative of muscular growth. Mm -hmm. Right, like uh, this, 
I've been doing deep leg presses lately and I'm probably using 20 or 30% more weight than I did my first session. My legs are not 20 to 30% bigger yeah. by any means. The majority of that is just neuromuscular coordination. It's right. learning the movement. Uh, it's your body sort of adapting to the joint positions. There could be some Golgi tendon organ stuff going on to sort of release your ability to produce force. Um, but a lot of people, they see that quick jump in progress yeah. and they think, oh my God, this movement is amazing. And then the progress slows mm -hmm. because it will once you've made those adaptations. Now you're building muscle. Mm -hmm. Now it's your actual muscles that are adapting because those other adaptations have taken place, which are essentially cheaper. Your right. body is a miserly, stingy MFR. And so it doesn't want to build muscle because muscle is expensive. It's tangible, it's tissue. It's something that your body has to actually create. Mm -hmm. Whereas optimizing the central nervous system you know, the joint structures, you know, stiffness, passive tendon, et cetera. I mean, that is quick, relatively quick and easy and cheap. So your body will do that first. The trouble is when people see this slowing progress, which is good because it means it's actually what is getting them to their goals. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, the movement's done. Time yeah. to swap it out. <laughs> yeah, time, <laughs> time to change programs. Yeah, time, time to move on to another movement so I can get that quick progress, right? Mm -hmm. They don't realize... The quick progress they're making is not the progress they actually want to be making right mm -hmm. and so I, I tend to keep movements in my program much longer than i used to okay. i used to be not necessarily a program hopper but i would be an exercise hopper for sure mm -hmm. like this month would be the front squat month like oh this is going to be the thing and so i would make that quick progress then i would kind of just get bored of it and i would find the new thing that was going to get me big mm -hmm. Except it didn't, because I didn't actually give it long enough. And so I'd be, you know, rotating through movements super, super quickly. And there is something to be said for that from an injury prevention standpoint. At the very least, you're not necessarily going to get as banged up because you're, you are trying something new. Uh -huh. But I also think it can limit progress yeah. in the long term for sure. And right now, I will milk a movement for all it's worth uh -huh. before I swap it out. Because I, I think I'm just getting more out of it. And this also goes back to that delayed gratification. Mm -hmm. Because you're seeing slower progress. I mean, on incline dumbbell curls, I might gain like five reps, maybe six reps with a given weight in a year. And so it's a rep every couple months. Yeah. But it's real progress. Right. It doesn't feel as good as, you know, constantly messing with the bench to try to find the perfect angle or, you know, doing pause reps this week and then tempo reps next week. And then, you know, oh, the, the gym got new dumbbells. And so now I need to try these and, you know, just, just consistent, slow progress mm -hmm. week to week to week and month to month, month, which again can be hard to notice and hard to measure. Yeah. Um, but that's real progress. Right. And that's the real progress that actually, adds up to the goals that, you know, I want to get to. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that you've also mentioned in your videos is kind of you being a workhorse. And um, I, I don't want to say I'm the same way, but like when it comes to working in, in like the heavier movements, I find myself, I like doing higher volumes and like 
for me, my hamstrings can't tolerate an insane amount of volume because I just get crazy sore. My back is kind of the same way. My chest and my quads, I could beat the living shit out of and they won't get sore. At least not like that bad. My chest may be a little bit, but like my quads just like I can't do anything to get them sore. But, you know, I do hit them pretty freaking hard. Um, but, you know, kind of to that neuromuscular adaptations. Um, to sit down and do a set of like 15 squats when they're nice and heavy, that sucks. I mean, that really sucks, but that's probably what a lot of people need to do because um, I think I also heard you touch on like people just wanting to go for one rep max, one rep max, one rep max. Well, why don't you draw it out and really grind out a set of like 15, maybe even 20, and that will actually probably complement your one rep max, but you're just going to have to be patient and kind of let that play out over the long term. Yeah, yeah. Ed, Ed Cohen used to write out his entire training cycles for like 10 or 12 weeks at a time. And he would write out like the whole year of training cycles. So it'd be like five separate, maybe four or five, I forget which, four or five training cycles, each one like a 10-week block or something or 12-week block. It was either five times 10 weeks or four times 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. And Every time he would just up the weight by a very small amount on every single movement. Mm-hmm. So he would add like five pounds or 10 pounds to every single movement. And he would just do that four or five times a year and greatest of all time, right? Like, and so I think um, there is something to be said for these little tiny jumps, this consistency, and a lot of people are, are definitely lacking it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough at times. Sometimes you think you're not doing enough. Sometimes you think you're doing too much. Um, but, you know, by being observant, you can sort of tell what is going to, what you are going to need to get to your goals over time. And then being observant and making small tweaks and changes uh, are what are going to get the job done. Not like hopping programs or, or not completely switching things up. Um, you know, if someone wants to do that, that's fine. But doing that too much is definitely not the best for long-term progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I have, <laughs> it, it's kind of funny to look back at like the hype and everything around terkesterone. I, I was just, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because it seems like all of it is like gone. And that was such a big push uh, like a year or two ago. And it, it's kind of like, it's emblematic of the fitness industry where there's like this this new product that's going to get you all the gains and then it comes and there's a whole bunch of hype and then it just disappears into the ether and now no one like talks about it but it seems like kind of like the mainstays are like creatine beta alanine to a lesser degree and then um caffeine or kind of like the three staples you know your your branch chains for tasty water they don't really seem to have any effect but like a lot of the other stuff just seems to kind of like come and go yeah, no, it's, um, and one thing I can guarantee is that terkestrone will not be the last one. There's going to be something <laughs> yeah. else, you know, in a year or two, that is going to be like the thing that you need to be taking to maximize muscle growth. And, um, you're right that a lot of these don't stick around. I would be very skeptical of a lot of the studies. A lot of them either have no studies or they have one study. And by the way, statistical error. Like, just because something is statistically significant, well, usually we use a p-value of 0.05. So there's a 5% chance that it could be significant without actually being significant, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then a lot of studies are poorly designed, industry funding, 
big issue, I, I think. You know, you look at the who funded the study. Oh, the company making the supplement. Mm -hmm. Wow, like what a shocking, right? Really surprising. And then, you know, other companies can't seem to replicate the findings. Yeah. Know? And so, yeah, I take uh, I take creatine. And I actually had a video on creatine a while back um, saying that it caused me to lose my hair mm -hmm. back in 2019. I think actually it was probably just stress. I think it was probably just like you know, being newly married and then not having a stable job and just mm -hmm. rushing around. Plus, I couldn't afford to bulk, so I just cut. And so mm -hmm. I was spending, you know, most of that year with like veins all in my abs and just rushing around doing bullshit, you know, jobs and stuff like that. Um, and so I think it was just stress. I think it was just, you know, being sort of not as mindful about that kind of thing. And, and now I actually handle stress a lot better. And so I, I've been taking creatine again for the past, I don't know, a year or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, seems to be pretty much okay. Got a better head um, than me. Yeah, thanks. So I, uh, so I take creatine. I think that's good. I do notice a bump. Actually, this uh, this cut, when I started taking it, I noted it in my weight, uh, my morning body weight tab in my Excel spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. And when I started taking creatine, I stopped losing weight. And the scale creeped up three, four pounds mm -hmm. over the course of a, a week or two while I was looking leaner. Mm -hmm. So it was just like water retention yeah. inside the muscle. So... You too can gain four pounds of muscle in a month. Buy my creatine discount code <laughs> affiliate link in the bio. Um, uh, but you know, like, is that actually muscle? Not really. It's just water that is in the muscle, and muscles are seventy percent water. water. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not really muscle because if you stop using it, you lose that right away. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think there are cognitive benefits. It's fairly affordable as well, and so I think creatine. It's a pretty good supplement for most people who are, you know, into this whole lifting weights and getting jacked thing. Uh, and then I take casein protein powder, mm -hmm. um, mostly out of convenience. Yeah. Uh, and partly when you're cutting, maybe your fats are going to be low, your carbs are going to be low, but you want your protein to be relatively high. Mm -hmm. And so it, at a certain point, it becomes difficult to shuffle all the macros around. And I don't count. But I also know that if I did not take in protein powder, my protein would probably be lower than it should. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, huck back a couple of those per day. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's an extra like 50 grams or so of protein. And that gets me somewhere that is probably better than it would be. You know, without it, I might be 100 grams on it, somewhere on there. I don't know. Uh, I actually haven't counted at all in a few years, which people are always surprised when I say that. Um, but I do take casein. And then, uh, yeah, coffee as well. So those are basically, uh, oh, and there's some multivitamin, vitamin C companies up there yeah. that my wife got, but those aren't even, aren't even really important. Oh, and then fish oil. So mm -hmm. that's basically um, the four that I take. Creatine, casein, fish oil, and, uh, and occasionally a, a vitamin C <laughs> gummy um, when I remember. But I'm pretty minimalistic when it comes to supplements. I will never be endorsed by a supplement company because there's no company that I could get behind because most of the stuff they sell would be something I would never ever use. Right? Mm -hmm. So, um, 
lots of supplement companies have reached out to me. Um, one of them I actually considered just because it was someone who I really looked up to when I first got into fitness. Um, and he, you know, he owns a supplement company, but, um, the package actually got stopped at the border and sent back because of Chinese customs for whatever mm -hmm. reason. And so, uh, you know, it didn't end up going through. And actually I think it's for the best just because, you know, I'm pretty minimalistic when it comes to a lot of things. And yeah. so it's, uh, not really something that I could stand behind. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's one thing that I've noticed that's been uh, consistent about you is that you're not a charlatan. Um, I, I do see people who, you know, as soon as they start to get a little bit bigger, then now every two seconds of their video, they're plugging supplements, they're plugging this, they're plugging that. And I know you just recently signed up with, um, I, I can't remember the company's name off the top of my head, but uh, obviously you know it, um, that uh, has reputable people, some of the people that we've been talking about throughout the show to kind of sell your programming. So um yeah, dude, we've got for about an hour and a half. So I think that might be a good place to kind of cut it off there. And um, yeah, dude, if you don't got anything else, um, tell people where they could find your training stuff because I think I kind of tied that in good there. Uh, yeah, the the company that you mentioned is Boostcamp. Um, That's it. And for me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dealer of information, essentially, mm -hmm. because I think for most people, information and inspiration are kind of like the two things that they need. Yeah. Um, some people need neither. That's not that common. Some people need one. A lot of people need both. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so having a company that puts out good information mm -hmm. is, you know, it's a perfect fit, really. So my programs are up on there on, on the Boost Camp app. Um, you know, they, they've been fantastic to work with. And um, if someone wants to check out my books, it's veritifit.com. Um I'm working on my nutrition book now, mm. which will be out in probably six, seven, eight months or so. So uh, it takes a while to to write, you know, these books. And, you know, usually they're probably, usually they're like 60, 70,000 words um, and a lot goes into them. So it'll, it'll probably be, it'll hopefully be by the end of the year, mm. um, just because it is a long process. Uh, and then my YouTube channel is Jeffrey Verity Schofield. And uh, I think that's also my name on Instagram as well. Good stuff, man. Yeah, well, uh, we'll definitely have you back on whenever you get the uh, nutrition book out. I'm interested to uh, see and read about it because uh, there's just so much bullshit in the nutrition realm. You know just as well as I do. So, uh, yeah, man, if there is uh, something else you wanted to hit on, um, go ahead. And if not, we'll close her out. No, just I want to say thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed this. And uh if you have me back, uh, happy to show up whenever. <laughs> For sure, man. All right. Well, uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed the conversation. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share. And check out the links below for all the stuff I got going on. And follow me on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, wherever, whatever. And uh, yeah, guys, thanks for listening. And until next time, see you later.